Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now, is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether rich or poor. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in this city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true that I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night. And when morning comes, if he wills to redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. And Father, we do thank you for this word. We ask that you would help us now, Lord, as we navigate our way through this passage. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So the story, the plot is thickening. It's unfolding. Uh, I want to sort of refresh us to where we left off. If we were to go back into chapter 2, the very last verse, we read, So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So this is sort of a, a transitional sentence in the in the midst of the story that's unfolding to review our minds i'm gonna ask the map that we've been kind of going through i've reduced the pictures we're only doing the first one right now so this is a map of israel the southern part of israel we see bethlehem is located right here 
it's just five miles south of Jerusalem. The, the book of Ruth opens up in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. We learn that in Bethlehem there was a famine, sort of, sort of some irony there that this town located the house of bread. There is no bread. There's no food. There's nothing there. The setting is set during the period of the judges where, where the Bible tells us that man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a, a, a terrible time to live. And so there's this family that's introduced, Elimelech, which means my God is king, and his wife, Naomi. They have two boys, very Star Trek-y sounding names, I, 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 Chilion and Klingon or something like that. I mean, sickly and dying. And they have to figure out what they're going to do. And so they, they, they wrestle with the idea of going down to Moab, which is about 90 miles away. You'd have to go up, cross over the Jordan, get over this very uh, large mountain range and head south into Moab. There was food there. They wrestled with the decision of, of the economics. Do we, do we make this move doing something that's better economically for our family? But the problem was the spiritual applications, that this was the land of Moab. We know that the Moabites came from a daughter of one of Lot, who had schemed in the night to get her father drunk. And the two daughters lay with their father, and, and they each conceived. One of the children that was conceived became the, the Moabites. This was a people that had dealt harshly with Israel over the years. They had raised up Balaam to curse them. Um, God in his word in Deuteronomy chapter 23, he says, don't uh, let the Moabites enter your house of worship unto the 10th generation. Don't pray for them. Don't ask for blessing. When you, when you came back from the wilderness, they wouldn't give you food or water. So there was a, a, a great deal of tension. And so it wasn't just going to a place of, of economic blessing. It was to, to walk away from the promises of God, to go to this place, to take matters into their own hands. And you get the sense as the story unfolds that they were just going to go for a few weeks, gather some food, and, and then they would return. But it, it went from sojourning to they remained there. Eventually, Elimelech passes away. The daughters get married, or the sons get married to two Moabite women. Ten years goes by, no children come, and eventually, sickly and dying die. And so their Ruth is, 15 years maybe after the story opened up, finding herself in Moab. We know from her own testimony that she believes that all of this stuff began to happen to her because of her disobedience, her and her husband's desire to leave Israel for food. She believed it was God cursing her, uh, pronouncing his judgment upon her. And so she decides to leave, to go back to her hometown the daughters follow along, and I believe somewhere along the border where it would be customary to go to the edge of town with, with the mother-in-law, she says, stop, go home, don't, there's no need for you, you're young enough, go back to your mothers, get remarried, live your life. God has dealt with me, and there's no reason for you to throw your lives away. Both girls respond saying, may it never be, we're going to follow you. Ruth gets a little harsher. He says, no, don't stay. Go get remarried. One of the daughters leaves and Ruth says, I'm staying. And at this point, I believe Naomi gets harsh on her daughter-in-law, really wanting her to go back. And she says, there's no place for you in Israel. 
Go back to your people and your gods. You're not welcomed in Israel. You're going to be an outsider. You're going to be judged. You're not welcomed into our place of worship. There's going to be great hostility. And we get this beautiful passage of Ruth standing up and saying, I don't care. In complete contrast to Elimelech. She says, I know it's going to be harder. But I'm going to follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, you die. And the, the heart of what she said, and may your God be my God. And she converts to, to, to Judaism, to following after the true God. Ruth gives up. And they enter into the town. And as they enter back into Bethlehem, all the ladies are sort of murmuring. Hey, doesn't that kind of look? That looks like Naomi, which means pleasant. But it's been 20 years and she was married, Elimelech, and their two sons. But she looks weathered. And she just got a Moabite girl with her. That couldn't be her. And at this point, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For God has dealt bitterly with me. In the beginning of chapter 2, we, they're in Israel. There's food now in Bethlehem. There are two widows who don't have any resources. The daughter-in-law, Ruth, knows enough of the Old Testament, of the, the God of Israel, to know that this gracious God had made provisions in his word for the alien, for widows and orphans, that they could follow behind the harvesters. And, 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 and if they, the harvesters had dropped a bit of the grain, they weren't allowed to pick it up. They were allowed to go through and pick up the scraps to feed themselves. It was a, a welfare system that came with dignity. And she says, please let me go out to the fields to follow behind the gleaners. Maybe I'll find some food. And all of chapter two is this beautiful story sort of unfolding. She'd worked. She'd done well. She's on her first break of the day. Elimelech, or not Elimelech, I'm sorry. Boaz walks in. He looks at his guys, greets everybody, and he notices the girl that's over there. And he says, who's that girl? And the middle management guy looks at him and he says, you know what? That's, uh, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. And uh, she asked me earlier today if she could glean in the fields. And I said, no problem. She's been, she's been working like a dog all morning. This is the first time she came to take a break. And so Boaz goes over and he says, you know what? You're welcome to stay in my fields. When it's time for a break, drink out of the water that I provide. Don't leave my field. I'll offer you protection for it is dangerous for you to be a young lady out here. I'll take care of you and I'll let you stay. So as long as the harvest is going on, you remain. And she says, why have I found favor in your eyes? I'm a foreigner that the stigma of her being a, from Moab follows her all the way through. Ruth. And in chapter 2, verse 11, Boaz says to her, all that you've done from your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek refuge. It's beautiful. He, he's heard about her. He knows of her. She's got this great reputation. He says, that's why I'm caring for you. May the God who you've turned to, the true God, care for you. 
And so he, she goes back to work. Comes back for lunch. They have another engagement. He, you know, he, he reiterates or reaffirms all of this stuff. He tells his men, don't harass her. No, no racist jokes. I, I want you to intentionally drop part of the product so that she can have it. And if she crosses that line and gets into the territory where it hasn't been gleaned already, leave her alone. Don't scold her. So she works the rest of the day. The sun goes down. She begins preparing the stuff that she gleaned. She gets an ephon. We did the little skit where we had Abigail and, and Naomi come and, and a big bag. I mean, our bag was probably bigger than what they had, but it was the same weight. So 30 pounds of, of food. And she goes home and, and the mother-in-law is like, where have you been? Where did that food come from? She said, I met this man, this, this, uh, this Boaz. He, he, he took care of me. He told me to stay. And Naomi said, this is a relative of ours. There's hope. I see the wheels turning in her head. There's matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. There's hope. I can, there's, it's all coming together. And we come to the very end of, of chapter two of this verse 23. And it's sort of this, this panoramic scene. So Ruth stayed. She continued to work through the wheat and barley harvest. Now, today's story, we're in the barley harvest. The season has come to an end. And like any great storyteller, they end with this. What's going to happen after the harvest? There's no more work. Boaz, this, this, this provision is ending. What's going to happen now? And so chapter 3, verse 1, the first two Verses the the mother-in-law asked sort of two rhetorical questions presenting the problem with some facts about the problem and and we read that Naomi her mother-in-law said to her my daughter I love this beauty this this is a word for for intimate relationship mother and daughter there's no in-law for what they've been through what they've suffered this is her daughter. My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? If you turn back with me to Ruth chapter one, verse nine. And, and we're catching up at the story where they're, they're walking out of Moab. And Ruth is trying to get both of her daughters to turn back. And notice what she says in verse eight. She says that Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your her mother's house you'll only see that phrase i've only found it two times in the bible normally it's the father's house but the mother's house it seems to be that you go to your mother's house that your mother would help set up this marriage relationship go back to your mom i'm not your mom go back to your mom may the lord deal kindly with you if you've dealt with the dead and with me she's like you've been good to me you've you cared for me when my husband died. You were good to my boys. You took care of them through their death. But now there's, they're gone. You've been gracious. May God continue to show his chesed, the, this 
this graciousness to you. You go back, get married, start a family with your people. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed him. They lifted their voices and wept. One goes. We don't know what happened to her. Ruth stays and follows. And now we come to chapter three, verse one. And it's almost what what Naomi had said. May you go to your mother's house. May you find a husband. May, May you be taken care of. She says. My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? This is the, the thing I wanted you to do with your mom. You didn't do. And now I'm here. I love you. You're young. And I love this lady who describes herself earlier as this bitter person. She's not an older widow that's given up. She sees this daughter, her life, and she doesn't. She's not concerned with her own situation, that she's beyond the marrying age, that she's going to be a widow she says i care about you ruth let me find you a husband in this place it's a beautiful tale of sacrificial love and then in verse two this factual statement now is not boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were of course this man i've been worried he is a kinsman now it's not as clear-cut and i don't know that i want to go into all the 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 details of this, the, the, the kinsman situation. But what we do need to understand is, is in the Mosaic law, if there were two brothers, both married, one brother dies, the other brother had an obligation to marry his brother's wife. In this situation, Boaz is, is related sort of distantly to to Elimelech, who is the mother-in-law's husband who'd passed. Now, Elimelech had a son who Ruth was married to, and that son died. So now there's a little bit of distance, which goes into the what I'm not going to talk about, but you can do your own homework. You know a lever? It's called the Leverite Law. And so, so a distant relative had the option of marrying. It wasn't required by either party. And we'll see as this this story sort of unfolds. Certainly Ruth had no obligation to marry any sort of family member. Since football season's over in my mind, I'm already thinking baseball. And, uh, you know, Ruth is a free agent. She can go wherever she wants. She's not under any sort of contractual obligation to marry within Naomi's family. We'll see as the story unfolds that that Boaz says this very thing. She could marry a young guy with lots of money or poor. She can do whatever she wants. And I see on her side this great reciprocal love for her, her, her mother-in-law, who's become her mom. Neither one of the... Uh, I keep talking about this kinsman because it's here, but neither one of them really... That doesn't seem to be their motive. The mother-in-law seems, the motive seems to be out of genuine love for her daughter. And the daughter, Ruth's love, really seems to be for her mom. And she says, behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Well, that's true. Now, I don't know where you guys, uh, where you guys thresh your barley. Anybody still do that today? 
Well, somebody does, because I have wheat bread, and I like wheat bread. Somebody does the winnowing and threshing. It probably happens at a factory. I want to go to this next slide. I want to, uh, this is probably a bad picture. I'm going to, Nate knows the deal. He's going to turn the lights off for us so we can see it. I like this picture, but I don't like this picture. Well, first, it's not the real deal. I wish I could have had video from uh, the actual scene that night, but I couldn't find any old footage on YouTube of uh, the actual Ruth and Boaz situation. But so what you have is you'd have the threshing floor be around. What I don't like about this picture is it makes it look like it's on, on softer ground, on dirt. Likely it would have been on stone, a harder sort of, a, a harder sort of ground because the, the wheat and the barley, you really had to, to smash it in order to get the usable part out. And so in this, you see these oxen with a, a sled here, and there are some people on the sled for the weights. Now, if you could go to the next slide, I want to show you the sled. So this is an actual sled. It would be, uh, they'd have grooves in the bottom of it, and then they would put rocks into the, the holes. And so the rocks would go on the harder surface. The barley and wheat would be there, and it would basically, the rocks moving over the hard surface over the barley would basically break Break apart the usable from unusable, the, the wheat from the shaft. Jesus often uses this, this metaphor as, as he'll sort out amongst believers. Then you have uh, the rake thingamajigger, which was called a winnowing fork, or there's probably another couple words for it. But they basically would use this as the things would be broken apart. They would throw the straw up in the air, and the wind would come, and it would blow the straw away, and the heavier usable part of the wheat and barley would remain. So you can go back to the previous slide. And so you kind of see this sort of happening. It's kind of going around in a circle. The weight's breaking up. The guys would be lifting the, you know, throwing the, the lighter stuff in the air. They often would do this in the evening. You can go back to the first slide and turn on the lights before I continue with the story here. Um, so we see that verse 2, the second part, Behold, he winnows the barley at the threshing floor tonight. The, the threshing floor was a, a community sort of a piece of land. Uh, so they had to sort of book it. It was, you had to arrange it. I don't know how that worked. If they had a little sign-up sh- chart with like various days, but, but, but it was for the community. And so he had it booked. Clearly it was known that Boaz is going to be there threshing, um, winnowing on the threshing floor. They would do it at the evening time. There's a lot of speculation on this. There's as the winds would howl through the day at the evening, they would sort of let up a little bit. And so they would go when there's still a breeze, but not enough to blow everything away. And, and as the wind was just right, they would winnow into the, into the evening and they'd start separating. It was hard work, but it was a time of, of celebration, that this was the end of the harvest. They, they had food for themselves. Food equals money and resources. And so Naomi says he's going to be out there. And then in verse 3, she has her plan. Now her plan is a risky plan, but I'll get into that. I'll try not to get ahead of myself. As a dad of daughters, I really don't like this plan, but I'll get into that later. See, typically where the threshing floor would, often it was like a higher on a, on a hillside so the wind could go through and blow off and the stuff would remain. It, it, normally when sunset, you'd want to get back to your houses because of the danger of thieves and animals. And, and, and so the exception during this time of the winnowing, the owner would stay there because they couldn't pick up the product. They'd have to stay overnight. 
And so it was a, it, it was an interesting time. Stuff happened. It, the, um, it wasn't necessarily safe to be there, but the owner would stay. He would remain because he wanted to protect his wheat or barley from the animals, from thieves that would come through. Because of the celebration, the, the, the working, they would, they would work. And then when they're done working, waiting around, I imagine a campfire, some sort of alcoholic beverage. They'd have a, you know, a couple glasses of wine celebrating. It wasn't really a place for a lady to be. And even more so with the culture during this time, often what would happen, this is during the period of judges. The people of Israel aren't really walking with God per se. So often the city prostitutes would make their way out to the threshing floor and they would propose their services to the gentleman that had been there. So a woman out there was a dangerous, precarious place to be. But old mom has an idea in verse three. She's given the problem. She's given the, the, the facts that, okay, this, he's a relative. He's been working. He's going to be harvesting tonight or winnowing tonight. So verse 3, she says, Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go lay down. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So there's a couple different thoughts. Uh, s- some describe this washing anointing uh, putting on your best clothes as hey get gussied up go down there and make some moves on the guy wait till he's done drinking clearly that's what it is i mean it's this is alcohol he's uh, there's nothing in the story that lets me believe that he's drunk nor do i think that an owner of the land guarding his property would want to get blasted drunk but there's every inclination in the story, every leading that this guy was feeling good. In verse 7, it says his heart was merry. He's happy. He's had a few drinks. Now, there's, a, there's another thought that I kind of think about this, this. Okay, take a shower. That's always a good idea if you're interested in a boy. Anoint yourself. Perfume. They would take olive oil with... with uh, uh, be rich with perfume. If you go to the Middle East today, you'll often, when you are out with like Bedouin people and you encounter um, people out there, you'll you'll smell the very sweet sort of perfume. They may not have showered ever, but they smell good and you can smell it from a ways away. It says, put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor. Now, what I think is going on here is that up to this point, she's been a widow who's been in mourning. And what her mom is saying is, okay, Ruth, you're young. I love my boys. I loved your husband. I was their mom. But they're gone. Your life isn't over. It's time for you to put yourself back on the market. You need to take off your clothes of mourning. Let it be known that you're you're available. You're interested in getting married and moving on with your life. If you were to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, which I'm not going to really do, there's a story. Uh, we know the David and Bathsheba story. David sleeps with Bathsheba. He has to come up with a big scheme of how he's going to get out of the mess that he created because she's pregnant. Ultimately, he has her husband killed. He marries her. 
about a year elapses in chapter 12 when Nathan the prophet basically confronts David. And as he confronts David to let him know of his sin and that he needs to make things right with God, he says, one of the consequences is, is your child that you conceive with Bathsheba, she, he is going to die. And so David goes into mourning, he fasts, he, he's praying, he's, he's really trying to change the heart of God in this. The child dies. And his workers say, hey, we need to go tell David that his child has died. And they're like, I'm not going to see David. He's weeping and mourning and doing all this stuff. And the child's alive. I volunteer you to go tell him. And so when they go to see David, almost in the same order, they come in. They see that David's washed. He's anointed himself. He's put on his good clothes. And he's worshiping God. They say, what is going on here? And David says, listen, I was praying morning that while the child was alive, maybe God would change his mind. But now the child's dead. I can't do anything to get, I can't bring the child back from where, he, from where he is. But I'll go to be with him one day. It's a beautiful picture of a only place in the Bible where there's a, what happens when a child, a young child dies? It has nothing to do with Ruth, but that when we miscarry, this was a great passage of encouragement of David recognizing that the child had gone to be with the Lord even prior to uh, the baby. I don't, we don't see age of accountability, but the child hadn't been able to, to respond. And if you follow that story out, when Absalom dies, his older son, who was not a godly man, it goes down this the opposite way, that as soon as the son dies, he begins mourning. But now back to Ruth. So the mom says, you, you're done. It's, it's time for you to stop your mourning. But when you go down there, don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. They're going to be working hard all day. Don't go up trying to dump the bread truck on him. Don't hold yourself back. Wait till he relaxes. Wait until it's the right time. She says in verse four, it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. I just want to say time out and say, this is absolutely crazy. <laughs> I have two daughters and I can assure you this is not going to be the plan I come up with. This is a this this. This story is describing something, describing what happened, not prescribing to us. I can see it already. The book to young girls uncovering your future spouse's feet and how to get married based on the story of Ruth. Go find a bunch of drunk construction workers and then just sort of put yourself in a precarious situation. It's crazy. This is an absolute crazy plan. Okay, Naomi, get gussied up. Get your perfume on. Change your clothes. Wait till he's had a few beers. Wait till he falls asleep. <laughs> Make sure you know where he goes to sleep because you don't want to go to the wrong person's campsite. That could get really awkward. So when he like, I mean, it says it. Oh, maybe that's later. I got ahead of myself. But there's like, when he lays down, you make sure you get a good vector. You know exactly where he is because you don't want to wander to the wrong place. 
you lay at his feet. And then he will tell you what you shall do. Buzz guy, girl shows up middle of the night where there's normally hanky-panky of not the most honorable thing. He'll tell you what to do. Exactly. Why are you giving her this advice? This could get really bad. I mean, really, if they're Boaz and you're Ruth, this story can unfold three different ways. Only one is a good way. But I think it's the longest shot. The first way, Ruth goes, follows through with this crazy plan concocted by her mother-in-law. I'm calling her mother-in-law at this point, not her mom. And Boaz actually thinks she's a prostitute, and then he follows out with a plan that she's a prostitute. That wouldn't be good. Second option, Ruth goes to the situation, lays down at his feet. He thinks she's a prostitute, and he is absolutely disgusted with her, and he kicks her out. For the honorable guy that he is, that we see. If he's the man he is, this won't attract him at all. He, want, he would want nothing to do. I thought, I misjudged her. She's just a Moabite. She's just like all of her people. Sexually deceivious, come from incest, and now doing the same thing. The third option, which I think is the farthest fetched, is, hey, you want to get married? Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll make all the plans happen. <laughs> okay. Man, I love the risk. Like, I, I love this... God's sovereignty places Ruth in this field of Boaz, and yet his sovereignty allows for the room for them to kind of play this story out in a multiple set of directions. Don't ask me to explain the sovereignty of God and our, our free will. I, 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 don't know, I don't know how it works, but there's clearly God has sort of orchestrated this, but within that setting, there's freedom to go left, right, however it plays out. They have some say. And then in verse 5, she said to her, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor. And I see her all gussied up with her, her outer garment. This garment was a big outer garment. Don't, don't, don't think uh, lingerie. Think, think big sort of parka. It was, a, it was something that if you were out in the field because you'd be spending the night, it needed to be big enough to, to cover you up. She had to hide herself. We see that she's trying to hide herself, not making herself known. It's how she would have kept herself warm. And there she goes singing. Go into the threshing floor. Gonna get married. It's catchy, right? Like, there she is. She's, she's got this plan. That'll be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. I will do all that you say. Oh, man. Can you imagine how nervous she must have been? Okay, mom. It's kind of risky. This is like, this is kind of, this is not a safe place for me to be. You know, next Sunday is our Anna and I's wedding anniversary. And, and so I, it also is the Super Bowl Sunday. So I'm like trying to like do a bunch of stuff before and after in order to watch the game. Like any... Well, it was me. That's what I. That's what I would do. And so I am walking. It was so much easier when she wasn't here during the last service. And so, so reading the story in light of our coming anniversary, it's just sort of like 
like kind of brought up some memories from when we like were about to get married in that engagement period. And, and so I see Ruth heading down like with this plan. And when you get like getting engaged, it was like a nerve wracking thing for me. Like it was scary because I had to like ask her dad if it was okay. That it took me twice to do that because I thought he said yes, but then I thought he made a mistake because I was like, like what was he thinking, letting me marry her? Like I had to like he had to have made a mistake, so I had to go back and clarify. And then like getting to that point, like, I really didn't want to propose if she was going to say no. And so I'm trying to scheme in my mind, like, well, how can I propose? But kind of kind of feel the waters out. And we were on the phone and I remember saying, hey, so if I, like, I noticed your family has a dog. Like, yeah, we have a dog. Uh, Let's say I was to buy a new uh, collar for that dog. Would, Would you receive that collar? Or would you say no? And she's like, huh? Uh, let's just say that there's a dog. There's no collar. There's no collar on your dog's neck. And and say I was going to come down and get a collar, get down on my knee and present the collar to the dog. Do you do you do you think that would be okay? She's like, ah, yes, the dog would say okay. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, time out, time out. Or, let me just make sure we're on the same sheet of music. I'm not talking about the dog. She's like, I know. And the dog would say yes. It's a true story. She's not saying, Gunner, you've gone too far making up these stories. So I see see Ruth heading down. She's, She's proposing marriage. Crazy. Verse 6, so, so she went down to the threshing floor. Gonna get married. Okay, sorry. And did according to her mother-in-law had commanded her. That means she got there. I don't know if there was a fire. So there was, so there was a, 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 a place of light where there's an outer darkness. But she's concealing herself. For he doesn't know who she is. If there were people there and she watches. Hey, the sun's down. They're done working. Now they're, well, let's see. Let's just keep reading. Although her mother commanded her. Verse 7, when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry. Guy's feeling good. He's eating. This is just everything that she said. This is how it's happening. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. He would sleep next to the product because his purpose of being there was to guard the product. And so he lays down next to the heap. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now there's like this sort of, there's like this point of no return. She sees him. Okay, oh man, this is really happening. I can't believe this. What was I thinking? Tell her I do that. She said that I do. Like he's eating, he's drunk, he's he's laying down. I see him there. <laughs> there it is, verse four. I got ahead of myself. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. Okay, that's great. That's that grain, that pile of grain. There he is right there. Don't mess up. It could go really bad if I go to the wrong spot. Okay, he laid down, but he's still kind of, he's kind of stirring. and <clears throat> that's, that's Boaz snoring. 
She's like, he's out. This, this is where I make my move. We have to sense the racing of this. I have a lot of um, experience doing DAs, direct assaults. And so I, I relate this to, to an assault on, on a, a Navy SEAL raid. Got real quiet in here. But when you go to that place where you are, are basically giving up your concealment, at any moment, you're at, a, at just a ton of risk. So as she's making her approach, I bet she's all of the straw or barley stuff that wasn't used is all around. And can you believe how loud it is with every step? He's going to wake up. Maybe halfway, he kind of goes back asleep. This reminds me of one of my favorite, like, favorite raids I ever did in the SEAL teams. We were in United Arab Emirates on an island that I can't remember the name of the island. And our boat guys, our support staff, they had played some practical joke on us. I don't know what it was, but it had to do with something exploding. And so like little water bottles, we'd figured out like bigger than this, like a full-size water bottle, that if you drank down all the water and you pulled out the heater pack from the MRE, which you put water on it, it would start giving off gases. You put it in the water bottle, then you tighten the water bottle, then the thing would explode on you. It was awesome. And so they did something to us where there was an explosion, but we're like, our boat unit guys, they're not going to punk us out and like play a practical joke. We're Navy SEALs. We know how to really do a hit, and we're going we're gonna to run Operation Chicken on these guys. So what we decided to do in UAE, like the chickens, this is before I lived in Valley Center. I have way more experience with chickens now. But the chickens were just sort of like wandering all around. And we thought, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to wrangle up all these chickens. We're going to create our bombs. We're going we're gonna to secure their building that they're sleeping in so they can't get out. We're going to wait till 3 in the morning till they're all, uh, till they're all like locked up. We're going to basically make our approach to the building. The first three guys are going to launch all of the chickens into the windows. Then the next three guys are going to launch all of the exploding water bottles in there. We're going to shut the windows and it's going to be hilarious. There's going to be explosion. There's going to be chickens flying everywhere. These guys are going to be horrified trying to figure out what to do. We get our plan and we're making the approach. And it's like, oh, no, we kept thinking that we're getting compromised. Then we do the whole thing and the chickens totally failed us. Our bombs went off. Chickens just kind of like walked around. The guys all like, what is going on? They're like, nice try, guys. Go back to sleep. The point of all of this is it's terrifying. Yeah, it was a good story. I really had fun that night, so I like to relive it every now and again. And so they, she makes her approach to Boaz. She came secretly tiptoeing. Can you, how, how scary is this? Here's a guy who's sleeping. There's a little edge of his cloak. It's like she could hear her heartbeat, like, quiet. Lifts up his feet, lays down. Maybe he stirred, I don't know. And she lay down. I have no idea how much time elapses, but it seems like some time has gone by. And it says in verse 8, it happened in the middle of the night. So you kind of sense that, 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 that maybe like an hour or two, like I really don't think Ruth was sleeping at all. I remember when Anna and I first got married. Sorry for all the Anna stories. I may or may not snore. I, uh, 
never personally heard myself, but there's been many who have testified against me that I do snore very loudly. And so my plan when I got married was just to basically just to never sleep and then that my gig wouldn't be up. And so like those first few nights of like trying to remain awake or to sleep so lightly that I wouldn't snore, it was like miserable. Now I'm comfortable. Years have passed. No problem. The reason I bring this up is can you imagine like Ruth like sort of wants him to wake up. But I also kind of think she's like, I just need to get out of here. Like, I don't know that I'm, this is just, I got myself in a really awkward position. She said he would wake up and I just have to do what he says. But he's just snoring away. The time goes by. I imagine that he'd, from one of the words, the idea that, that, that as, the, as the evening sun went away and the, the night wore on, there's something about like, pre-sunrise like two three in the morning there's something about the air that just gets cold and i imagine that he sort of kicked off his blankets this happens to me every night i kick off the blankets and then around three in the morning i'm like it's freezing why does she always kick the blankets off of me and she's like you do this it's not me and so you wake up and you get your blanket and there he's he's cold reaching to pull the blankets over them and he's like what is that is that a it's a girl what is this girl who are you i am ruth your maid did you notice what's missing first time she doesn't say i'm ruth the moabitess i am ruth your maid can you smell this <laughs> can you like i don't know like like you He's like panicked, trying to like figure out like what is going on here. Like I laid down, there's an animal or a person or a prostitute. Or what's, what is happening? We have a policy in my house that I'm not allowed to take NyQuil unless Anna is in the house with me as I apply the, the measurement. I was working at Hell Week as, a, as an instructor. We've been married for like, I don't know, maybe a year at this point. And, and through this Bud students, I... Uh, got real sick and so i came home it's like two in the afternoon i'm all alone i go straight to the nyquil bottle forget the measurement cup and i just started chugging the stuff put the bottle down and i crawled into bed and i was out i mean boaz out and then it must have been hours later i remember kind of being startled and opening my eyes and all of the lights were on and anna was just there staring at me and i sat up just ready to fight for my life who are you i mean I'm, 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 what what who are you i'm mr nyquil what's going what, okay there's no threat i'm going back to bed and so ever since then there's i'm not allowed to take nyquil unless she's there to administer the dosage and that she's in the house and secured for the night and so i just picture boas like who are you and what are you doing in my knapsack? I'm Ruth, your maid. And she leaves the script. She departs at this point from what her mother-in-law said to do. Her mother-in-law just said, light his feet. When he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. I could speculate all sorts of stuff. I think that she was excited about Boaz. I think that she didn't want to be mistaken as a prostitute. I think that there's... a 
There's a number of things. There's horrified guys. She doesn't want to get beat up. I am Ruth. Leaves out Moabite for the first time. Spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. This is not what her mother-in-law said. You can link this over to 2.12 when he he says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord and the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. You You can see how that fits there. But this also was a way for a woman to propose marriage. It's very clear that she's proposing marriage here. I am Ruth, your maid. Spread your cover over your maid, for you are a close relative. I want to marry you. I see her. What's he going to say? How's he going to respond? It begs the question, why has he not approached her up to this point? I think he's had his eye on her. There's an age difference. He sees her. He obviously cares about her. He thinks that he's this excellent woman. He recognizes that she's mourning. And so as an honorable man, she's mourning the loss of her husband. So he's kept his hands off of her. But she makes it clear. I'm a relative. I want to marry you. You have a dog. There's a collar. (laughs) Then he said, verse 10, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first. What? The whole town is known about her. That when they were in Moab and her father-in-law died and then her husband died, she stayed by the side of her mother-in-law. That she'd followed the God of Israel to Israel. Sacrificing her own comforts, her own desires. Everything was sacrificial to care for her mom. And he says, that was beautiful what you did. We all know about this. But this is even better. Like This is even greater. And he says... You've shown your last kindness to be much better than the first by not going after young men, whether rich or poor. Now, my daughter, do not fear. See, this is where she's under no obligation to be with him. He's under no obligation necessarily to her. They have that option. He says, you're a free agent. You could go after young, good looking men. During the first service, I, I realized my like fiddler on the roof knowledge isn't really that great. But there's one of the songs of the matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. And then they're kind of talking about the guys. And I've been straightened out from the first service. There's one daughter that the parents wanted to line up with a butcher. The butcher happens to be a little bit older. And the matchmaker sings to her, Hodel, Hodel, have I made a match for you? He's handsome. He's young. All right. He's 62. But he's a nice man. A good catch. True, true. And so you see this like, this whole dialogue, it's been this joke because there's a couple of years between Anna and me about like, well, he's older. And she's like, well, that's her problem. And she's younger. No, sure. Well, that's his problem. And so this, and here he is. I'm older. You're younger. You're free to go after all the good looking guys. But yet 
you come to me. I'm pretty excited about this. I'll do whatever you ask. I'll do this. Whatever you ask for all my people in the city, know that you are a woman of excellence. And what a wonderful way to be described as a young lady. He says, I know about your character. Looks are fleeting. Wealth is fleeting. But to find a woman of excellence or a man of excellence, that is the most important thing. And he recognizes her character. And I think she recognizes his character clearly in his actions this night. He's excited. I can just see her like her heart pumping in her chest of like, I can't believe it. She was right. It worked out. We're going to get married. And in verse 11, he says now or 12, he says, now it is true. I am a close relative. But and just see everything fall apart. It is true. I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Just see devastation in her eyes. Who is this guy? I don't know this guy. I want you. And look what he says. Note all the use in verse 13. He says, remain this night. And when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So he says, spend the night. Stay here. In the morning, I'm going to go to this this other relative who's closer. If he wants to redeem you, great, let him do it. If not, I will. Can you imagine them laying there like, how is this going to play out? Like, so close, yet everything seems to be falling apart. And we see this remain this night, lie down until morning. And I see... Boaz, this honorable guy, he's making the worst, the best of a less than ideal situation. Like for her to be there is not ideal. We're going to see how he sends her away. Like it could give out the wrong impression about who she is, who he is, what happened there that night. Now on the other side, to send her away in the middle of the night could put her life in like severe risk to risk being raped or assaulted by somebody else. So he says, stay here until morning. Verse 14, so she laid his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman, let it not be known that the woman who came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went onto the city. So he says, when you leave here, use discretion. Don't let anybody see you. Don't let anybody know that you are here. Sneak away into the city. And as he goes, he says, here are these six measures of barley. We'll see as the story unfolds. It's, he gives it to her mother-in-law. Now, six measures of, of barley. My actors weren't available this week like last week. But it's believed that six measures of barley were six or were two ephahs. So an ephah was about 35 pounds. It's what an average person can carry in one day. Last week, we brought in the garbage bag of oak leaves to kind of show. I believe it was probably smaller than that, but the same same weight. And it, it conveys the, the, the amount that she was given. And so now this is it doubled that amount and she carried it. It's speculated that she probably carried it on her head, balancing out because you could carry more weight that way. She 
makes her way back into town. Dear mother-in-law Naomi's worrying all night. Did I send her out? Was this a bad idea? Is it, how did this pet play out? She's not back. What's going on? I can't. Ah, when's she coming? You can see that the sun's starting to come up. She should be home by now. Where is she? Ah, I think I see her coming. Here she comes. And as Ruth makes it to her mother-in-law. Let's see here. Verse 16, when she came and her mother-in-law saw her, she said, how did it go, my daughter? What happened? Tell me everything. Don't leave anything out. Let's start from the beginning. Last time I saw you, you were leaving here singing, go into the threshing floor. Then, then I lost sight of you. What happened? So we're told, and she told her all that the man had done to her. And I want to point out, while he said, use discretion, leaving There was nothing about his valor or integrity in this. It was discretion to protect her. Now she came back and she told all to her mom. And if you're a single person and you're in a relationship and the guy, to be honest, what it is, if he's trying to get you to do stuff that he doesn't want you to tell anybody, including your mom, get away, get away. It wasn't that he said, what we did, don't let anybody know. He said, what we did, what, what's happened here, nothing happened, but we don't want rumors, so, so get back home. And she tells her mom everything. I don't know how long it was before Anna and I were married. Probably a month. Anna had to get her wisdom teeth out. She's shaking her head because she knows where the story's going. I forget the details of how everything happened, but... Because when I got my wisdom teeth pulled, it was the Navy, and they weren't as like nice. And and so apparently, when you get your wisdom teeth out, the doctor will give you like a pre-dopia drug to kind of, hey, pop this after breakfast, or no, don't eat anything. Pop this. Come to my office, and I'll give you the rest. We'll whip out your wisdom teeth, and everything will be good. Well, Anna popped these two pounds, and she's not exactly what you call a heavyweight. And she was like drunk as a skunk, not from alcohol, but from these pills that the doctor gave her. And she called me and I'm like, are you going out in public? Like, like, as long as we're married, you will never, ever, ever drink on my watch. Not because of religious, how you're acting. I got to go. And so I guess she was in rare form. The whole way, got her wisdom teeth out, her outer wisdom teeth pulled out. And and after the thing, as she was heading home, I think she fell asleep. And her mom called me and she's like, Gunnar, we need to talk. And I'm like, oh man, what, what, like what? She's like, it's good that you've been an honorable band with my daughter because I know everything now. And I'm like, of course I've been honorable. I'm not being honorable because I'm trying to please you or please Anna. I want to please God. And I love this. She told all. And so here's like, I think there's a lesson here for single people who want to get married. And she says in verse 17, then she said, these six measures of barley he gave to me for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty handed. Then he, then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. She's like, he likes you? I don't care what's on his calendar. If he was supposed to come process the barley and do whatever, 
He's going to take care of business. It's not like, hey, next month I got some free time. I'll try to connect with this other relative. She's like, he likes you. He wants to be married to you. He's taking care of business and it'll be settled. So you be patient, my dear. Don't worry about going back to sleep right now. Just this story is about to unfold. Beautiful picture. With this, Ruth exits stage right if this was a play. She's no longer in the book of Ruth. Boaz takes center stage. And as we've watched this story unfold from the destitution, the, 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 struggle, the struggle, the leap of faith that she makes in following her mother-in-law back to Israel, we've seen this picture of God acting graciously towards Naomi, towards Ruth, using Boaz. And Boaz is this foreshadowing of Christ. We should see this. I don't care what you've done, where you've been through, what sort of hard times you've gone through or are going through. If you turn with me to close in Hebrews chapter 4, it's this beautiful picture of our God. Hebrews is kind of nestled away in the New Testament towards the end. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Peter before Peter. You come to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a high, have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, this picture of God, Jesus, coming out of heaven to earth, passing down, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been, has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. This, this beautiful picture of the Creator coming to earth, walking, living in the flesh, being tempted as we are. He understands what you're going through. There is nothing hidden from him. And I don't know where you are with Christ. But there's nothing that you've done. That he won't forgive you for. And for those of us who walk with him. Who have trusted him. For salvation. We're told that we have a God. That understands what we're going through. And I love verse 16. Therefore let us draw near with confidence. To the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And I think that's the whole book of Ruth. We see this struggle. We see this picture of God redeeming her. And to know that God is still doing that for us today. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this great story. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us our imaginations. Thank you, Lord, that you are a storyteller, that you... You have portions of scripture that are just clear doctrine laid out for us to understand. I thank you, Lord, that your picture of grace is revealed in stories. For sometimes it's just way more powerful to us. And so, Lord, as we look at Naomi and Ruth and their story, Lord, of Naomi making a mistake and going to Moab and consequences that followed to returning with her daughter-in-law that wanted to follow after you. Lord, just to see how you cared for them, how you loved them, how you provided for them. 
to see how you brought a redeemer in her life through Boaz. Lord, we thank you that we're not navigating life on our own. We thank you that we have Christ who has given us the option to be redeemed. And so, Father, I pray for each one, Lord, if they haven't trusted in Christ, Lord, may you, Lord, help them to see your offer clearly. And for those of us, Lord, who have trusted you with our lives, with our salvation, Lord, we we pray, Lord, that you would help us just to, just to navigate life, Lord. We thank you that you're so gracious and so kind to us. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.